Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome not only those of you who are here in person, but those of you who are joining us online. Thank you so much for being here uh, this morning. Um, I am uh, uh, grateful for uh, uh, some of the things that, well, all the things that Pastor Joe shared, but the one thing that I want to lift up that uh, in addition to what he said is, is next week is Next Steps. We do Next Steps about once a month. Next Step is a time for those of us who are thinking about what does it mean to be a part of this place called South Sub Church, uh, and uh, we'd love to invite you uh, to be a part of that if you're in that uh, situation. Pastor Joe and I alternate month to month, so uh, he does a fantastic job of talking about ways that you can get involved and ways that you can connect uh, with folks uh, that uh, are coming here as well. Uh, that's immediately after the second service. We'll provide lunch for you. You can go online and register at southsub.church, or you can call the church office, or just, just come. We, we trust the, you know, the miracle of loaves and fishes. God will make a way. Uh, but we'd love to have you be a part of that, and uh, uh, we're grateful for um, those of you who have been. Uh, we'll be uh, celebrating uh, some folks who've already been, um, so uh, we look forward to that as well. Um, you, you can't, unless you've had your head in the sand, you can't uh, not know about what's been going on in Ukraine over the past couple of days. Um, I'm stunned and stupefied, actually, uh, at, at the resolve uh, and what's happening. Um, I could not, the Holy Spirit was at work. Uh, our praise team, the songs that they chose were spot on. Thank you for leading us in praise and worship today. It's important to remember that our faith is not rooted in the events of the world. Our faith is rooted in Christ. None of this surprised God. None of this surprised God. He knew what was going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. Whether, whether we are called to face violence, whether we are called to celebrate in the midst of peace, our faith is always the same. It's in Christ Jesus. And uh, some folks have said that they're afraid of Armageddon. Well, if you're afraid of Armageddon, you're in the right place. You need to be in the house of the Lord today because uh, I, I received one communication this week. Uh, aren't you scared? I'm like, I know, I'm excited. If this is Armageddon, I'm ready. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. Let's establish the eternal kingdom of peace and justice. I'm good with that. Um, but I also want you to know that the message doesn't change from this pulpit. The message shall be, is, and will always be Jesus Christ, him crucified. He is the one who has forgiven and taken away the sins of the world. And that is in what we have hope in Christ. So today is the last uh, message in our series, The Chosen. Um, if you haven't uh, seen the uh, first season of The Chosen, I'd encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful, wonderful presentation of the life of Christ uh, in a unique and, 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 and specific and powerful way. We're looking at the uh, fourth, I'm sorry, the eighth, I just want to keep preaching, that's why I said the fourth. We're looking at the eighth message in the series, the eighth episode, uh, You Are Carried, and it's the, that final powerful scene in episode uh, eight where Jesus uh, talks to the woman at the well um, from uh, the Gospel of John. We've been making our way through Isaiah chapter 43, so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there to Isaiah, or your phones, or your tablets, or however you read God's Word. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, 
a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Now I have to confess to you that when I saw that this was the scripture for our final week, this final week of our chosen series, I was mildly annoyed. Well, it's that one verse there, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Now, I'm not annoyed with the scripture. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't leave here and say, well, the, the pastor doesn't like God's word. I love God's word. But I have heard my fair share of sermons at conferences and general assemblies, the installations of new pastors that have used this verse as their focus of the scripture. And that is what always annoys me. Now, I'm really sensitive about this, as if you have been with me, you might have picked up. Um, I'm very serious, and I'm terrified. When I come to God's Word, I'm terrified in a good way. And, and, And there is never a point when I come to God's Word that I want to claim a role or a responsibility or, or for uh, the church claiming a role or responsibility or a point of celebration that doesn't belong to us. It belongs solely to Jesus Christ. So I get annoyed when a pastor who's being installed for the first time has the temerity to say that that pastor's coming to the church is God doing something new. No, 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 no. You need to chill out, big boy, and sit down. You're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. This is about God, not about us, not about anything that we do. It's about the triune God. And it's utterly mind-boggling to me, the number of folks who go through life or through ministry who want to celebrate what they've done for God without much thought of what God has done for them. And in way too many sermons, I've heard this passage as a way to justify things, new things, new ways of doing things that may not be, in most cases, are not consistent with biblical Christianity. There are certain things that have been and will forever be true, regardless of how much we find them inconvenient in our life. So what does this context mean here in Isaiah? How might we understand what it means for us And how do we understand the lesson that is being taught to us from the story from John that is being uh, uh, presented to us in this final episode of The Chosen? Now, our episode this week is an interesting one because it principally deals with Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. But before he gets there, before he gets to that situation where he's talking to that woman at the well, where he's talking to us, too, let's watch this opening clip.
almost there. What city is that? Jezreel, the southernmost town in Galilee. From there we veer east to the Jordan River. Rabbi, where are you going? Do you need something? This way, friends. I'm sorry, but the map shows that Jezreel is two miles southeast of here and is met by a road east of the Jordan. We need to adjust our course 30 degrees We're to... not going to the Jordan. We're going through Samaria. Are you telling a joke? There's a place that I want to stop. Plus, it makes our journey shorter by almost half. And our odds of violent attack more likely by double. <laughs> Is that an exact figure? Forgive me, teacher, but it's safer to go around Samaria by way of the Jordan and not the Capolis. Would you join me for safety reasons? But, Rabbi, you're Samaritans. Good observation, Big James. What's your point? Rabbi, these were the people that profaned our temple with the dead bones. They, they hated they us. They fought against us with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. I haven't even spoken to a Samaritan. And we destroyed their temple a hundred years ago. And none of you here were present for any of these things. Listen, if we are going to have a question and answer session every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. We'll be fine. That. Well, as we've been making, and making our way through Isaiah chapter 43, we, we arrive here at the middle of the chapter of, uh, and we're not going to get through all of Isaiah 43, but we, we arrive here at the middle at verses 16 through 19. Now, I want to read a part of this to you again, but before I do that, let, let's set the scene just a little bit in the, in the book of Isaiah. Now, remember, Isaiah is writing about 100 years before any of this stuff is going to happen that he's writing about. And the folks listening to him for the first time, are probably perplexed. You know, the folks that are listening to Isaiah's prophecies at the time he makes the prophecies about stuff that's going to happen 100 years from now, they're probably pretty perplexed. But we know on this side of the prophecies that his prophecies come true. That's what real prophets do. They're, they, they're, that's how we judge a real prophet if what they prophesied comes to pass, they're a real prophet. So i got to give you just a little bit, so try to put on your Sunday school uh, hats for just a few moments because this is really important. The northern, so, so after Solomon, the nation of Israel divides, and the northern kingdom of Israel retains the name Israel. And the southern kingdom of Israel, where Jerusalem is, the city of Jerusalem and the temple, calls itself Judah, mainly because it is made up of predominantly just that tribe, the tribe of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to fall to the armies of Assyria. And the southern kingdom, Judah, with the capital city, Jerusalem, is going to be surrounded, and we've already talked about this in some of the preceding weeks, is going to be surrounded by the Babylonians, which is the next great kingdom that has come into the world after the fall of the Assyrian Empire. So you have the Assyrian Empire as a world power, then you have the Babylonians as a world power. And the Babylonians, you'll remember last week, are also called the Chaldeans. Now these Chaldeans boast in their military and their economic might. They think that they are unable to be defeated. They are the world's preeminent undisputed champions. Now, 
that happens until King Cyrus comes to power, who is the king of Persia, which is another kingdom further east of Babylon that is now rising to world power. So what now? Well, I can tell you, it is a terrible thing to be the pawns and the going back and forth of two major kingdoms, isn't it? And we got to be careful because we are a part of one of those major kingdoms in the present day world. Now, I need you to know that I wrote this message before Russia ever invaded Ukraine. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. But when you have lost any control or influence over your life, when you are being pushed back and forth, when you're being shoved up against a wall, all at the mercy of those around you, things are bound to happen that aren't always good. All right, now let's just set that there for just a second. And let's go now to John, where the woman at the well is recorded. So if you want to turn to, I'm going to take you through a really quick trip through John. It's not going to be that long because it's only a couple of chapters. We're going to go to John chapter 2 first. Um, I know where John is. Just give me a second. Now, if you told me to look for Habakkuk real quick, that might be a challenge. John chapter 2. So now the Romans are in control. Persia has fallen, the Greeks have fallen, the Seleucids had fallen, and there's some things that have happened that, that I, I, I might touch on in just a little bit. In John chapter 2, Jesus has been in Judea. So the, 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 the TV show actually has it wrong at that point. They, they, they are a little slipshod sometimes. Here in the episodes, they're going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. In the Bible, they're going from Jerusalem back to Galilee. So but we'll just, we'll, we'll give them a pass on that, okay? He is, uh, he, he has already met with Nicodemus. Jesus has already met with Nicodemus. In chapter 3, uh, that's where that great conversation with Nicodemus takes place. At the end of chapter 3, he meets up with John the Baptist, Jesus and his disciples, and his disciples start baptizing in a place called Enon, which is about halfway between the Sea of Galilee, which is the major body of water to the north, and the Dead Sea, which is the major body of water to the south. Enon is about halfway there. We know that John the Baptist baptized around that area as well. Between Galilee and Jerusalem, or sometimes it's called Judea, that, that region in the south, Between those two regions of Galilee at the north and Judea in the south is the region of Samaria. That's why he says, if I go straight through Samaria, I'll cut my time in half. And that's true. And you probably have picked up on this. Jews and Samaritans don't get along with each other. They just don't like each other. And there's a reason for it. And we could do a series just on the reasons, but let me just touch on some of the big ones. There's a lot of bad feelings that go all the way back to the Assyrian invasion. Remember, I just told you about that. And and how the Assyrians handled that. And how it really divided the Jews within themselves. And that was the Assyrians' intent. And it worked. The Maccabean War. That's the war that occurred between the end of your Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, what we like to call the intertestamental intertestamental period. And just before the New Testament begins, the Samaritans fought with the Greeks or the Seleucids, as you heard the disciples say. 
You see, the Samaritans, after they had divided because they didn't have a temple, they had built a temple on Mount Gerizim, which is one of the principal high places, one of the principal high mountains in in that region, uh, by permission and at the support of Alexander the Great, who was the leader of the Greeks as they invaded that area of the world. I mean, that's big, big stuff there. And after the Jews were victorious in the Maccabean Revolt and threw off the, the tyranny of the Greeks or the Seleucids, they destroyed the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. And their hatred for the Samaritans that they had fought for the enemy was etched into their psyche forever. Any good Jew would do everything in their, po- in their power to avoid Samaria. So when Jews were traveling either from Galilee to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Galilee, they would cross over the Jordan River to the east and go up and around. It kind of reminds me, my dad went to boot camp in in Georgia. And I remember in fifth grade, we decided to take a trip to Disney. And my dad told my mother that we weren't going through Georgia. We were going to go around Georgia because all he remembered was boot camp in Georgia my mother prevailed. That doesn't surprise anybody, does it? We went through Georgia. But in seriousness, that's how Jews travel. Anything that they could do to avoid Samaria. Now, when Jesus says he wants to go through Samaria, his disciples are confused, and that makes sense. Now, this may be important. I want you to look at this if you have your Bibles. John chapter 2, verse 23. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Here it is. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. What's that say here? Jesus did not tell his own people that he was the Messiah. He didn't trust them. He didn't trust his own people. Now, this is important. Hang with us. But when he meets the Samaritan woman here in John, when you get to John, John chapter 4, this Samaritan woman is the first person in John that he tells that he is the Messiah. Now, like the nation of Israel in the time of Isaiah, the northern kingdom, this Samaritan woman has done some things that has destroyed her life. Is that where you are? Do you know anybody like that? She's been married five times. And the man that she's presently living with is not her husband. And the presumption here in John, which the episode pulls out if you've watched it or will watch it, is that she's an adulteress. And she's at the whim of everyone. She is rejected by the other women in the village, so much so that she cannot go to the well with them. She has to go in the heat of the day. She is presumably mistreated by the men in her life. They have passed her around, beat her, abused her, assaulted her. And so when Jesus meets her, she, 
attacks God. What has God ever done for me? She asks. And in this week's episode, she even goes on to say, and even if God had done anything for me, there's absolutely no way that I could thank him. Now, to our modern ears, that might sound weird, but in her, modern, in her ears, that would have made perfect sense. Because, see, in the ancient world, you always had to go somewhere in order to talk to God. The Jews said that God was in Jerusalem, and you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem in order to talk to God. She's a Samaritan. She can't go there. The Samaritans said, if you want to talk to God, you got to go to Mount Gerizim, where their temple was built in order to talk to God. She can't go there. Well, first of all, because it's been torn down. Second of all, because her fellow Samaritans would not let her go there. She can't. She has nowhere to go. She can't go to Jerusalem. She can't worship with her fellow Samaritans. And what she has found herself is, from her perspective, every single person in her life is denying her access to this God that she's not all that sure she's happy with to begin with. Do you know anybody like this? She can't get to God. I know I say this all the time. None of us can get to God. Let me tell you a story. This is a hard story. I don't tell, this is the first time I have ever told this story publicly. Years ago, before I came here, a man came into my office. He worked next door in a house which was next door to the church. Now let me explain this house to you. This was a house where the oldest profession in the world was practiced. Y'all know what I'm saying? It was a house where men could go to be with other men. One morning when I arrived at the office, there was a coroner's van outside of that house. So I went over there, and this man's business partner had died. So I went over to offer my condolences. The local funeral director was there, and he looked at me. We were friends, the local funeral director. (laughs) Most pastors' best friends are funeral directors, right, Pastor Joe? It's people we hang out with the most, that and marriage people. He just shook his head at me when I walked over. Uh, really in, in a state of disgust that he had to be there to pick up this deceased man. The surviving man just stared at me with the coldest, angriest stare you could ever imagine. And then he walked away. Months later, that man came to church on a Wednesday night during our Wednesday night worship services and began to disrupt the service mocking me, mocking Christ publicly. And I was really impressed because this is eastern Kentucky and no one pulled out their guns and shot him. (laughs) That's saying something in eastern Kentucky, people. 
No, seriously, they all just sat very quietly, and after the service was over, he screamed and yelled and walked out. Weeks would go by, and he came again. Same exact thing happened. None of us responded. We just went on with the service as if he wasn't even there. That's why I'm able to preach through screaming babies, because I've preached through this guy. You can't get any worse than this guy. Another month or so would go by, and then one day he would come into my office. His thin, emaciated frame walked into my office, the skin sagging from his bones. His eyes were cold, dead, and empty. And he smelled like death. He reeked. Anger and fury filled his eyes. And he sat down. And he began to accuse me of sins that I had done years and years before and had told no one. He knew the things that I had done that no one had ever heard me tell them. And then he said, and you have the audacity to call yourself a pastor. So I said, well, what I have done isn't the issue. I'm forgiven. And God loves you. As soon as I said that, he cursed me and began to list my sins again. And I said, you hear me, don't you? God loves you, and God forgives you. And he stood up and began to scream at me, spitting on me and on the desk. And so I stood up too. And I said, not by my power, but in the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority, he rebukes you. Why did I say that? I wasn't talking to that man anymore. I was talking to the accuser that was within him. He backed away and backed out of my office and into the lobby, the narthex, and I followed him. And I don't know where these words came from, but I said this, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, by the authority of Jesus Christ, not my words but his words, not my authority but his authority, come out of him now. And he shrieked, and he screamed like I had never heard a scream before, and he jumped straight up in the air, well over four or five feet, and ran out of the church and down the street, and I, like a moron, followed him. I did stop at the edge of the church property. I didn't see him again for months. Months would go by. And then one day he came into my office again, but when he came in this time, he was different. He was clean, dressed, at peace. And he said to me, one of the first things he said to me is he says, I'm not working next door to the church anymore. I didn't know if you knew that. I said, what happened when you left my office the last time you were here? He said, I ran home. 
he lived next door. What do, you, what do you mean you ran home? I ran to my mom's house. Don't forget that, young people. By the way, his mom lived over five miles away in the next town. And he ran the whole way to his mom's house. He said, I just cried. I just wept in her lap. And she picked me up and she took me to her church and I was baptized. I'm working at a convenience store now, he said. I'm going to be okay. And I just wanted to thank you. And I said, I didn't do anything. Jesus did. I know, he said. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to church now. Life is different. And I said, God loves you. And this time he said, I know. Now, like that woman at the well, what was keeping her from God wasn't the geography or where she lived or the temple in Jerusalem or the high places or her neighbors as, anyone, as if anyone can keep us from God. What kept her from God? Are you listening? If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. What kept her from God was the accuser who told her she wasn't good enough, that told her that God didn't love her, that told her that her sins and her guilt and the demons that she carried around prevented her from ever coming to God. And so, you know, that's not necessarily wrong, which is why God came to her. So like God did, like God does and always will, God comes to us because we can't get to him. He comes to us like God is doing right here with you, with you online, with your neighbors, with your friends, with people who are in a situation that they can see no way out of. God is coming to them. Now, why did I tell you this story? Here's why I told you this story. When I watched this episode in preparation for this message this week, and I saw that final scene where she went running away, saying, he told me everything that I had ever done. He must be the Christ. It reminded me of that man standing in my office, telling me everything I had done. I know some of you can't believe it. I can't believe it either sometimes. You see, there's two ways that that happens. When the demons remind you of your sins, when the demons tell you that because of your sins, God doesn't love you, that's one way our sins are recounted to us. The second way is when Jesus tells us our sins and then tells us, that's why I came to you, because you couldn't get to me. To free you, to liberate you, to heal you, to redeem you. 
So don't listen to the sins. Listen to the one telling you your sins. One for evil, but one for good. Incidentally, before we watch the final clip, I want to tell you, after that man I told you about moved out of the house next door, the owner of the house couldn't find anyone to rent it. <laughs> so one of my elders called the owner and asked if the church could buy it. Man, did we get a deal. And when my property chair and I went through that house, the things that we saw and found were absolutely disgusting. So we tore that house down. And after the land was leveled and the grass began to grow, it became a nice big yard where children would go and play. And I can't help but think that a place that just a year before had been a place of tears, of hurt, of abuse, was transformed into a place that delighted the soul, where the light and the laughter and the joy of children replaced the darkness. That's how God works. Let's watch the second clip. Everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> hey, wait! You're what there? You forgot your um. Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Y you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> By the way, that, that's my posse. That's your posse too? That's your posse too. Throw me like a stone in the water. Don't worry, I won't sing it. 
Watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter. Pour me into your cup. Should have known we'd bring trouble. Trouble going to find you here. Trouble. You ready to make some trouble? If you're joining us online and you have heard Christ say to you all the things that you have ever done, it's because he wants to forgive you of them. I pray that you'll click that button and let us know that you'll begin a life anew in Christ today. If you're in person here today, and in your heart you have been reminded of all the things that you've ever done, it's so that God can give you a new beginning, a new life. And if you are saying yes today to that question, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, your Lord and Savior, I pray that after this service you'll come and share that with our elders who will be up here that together we can fall behind Christ as he troubles an evil world and forgives all who believe.